How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 353 of X-Labs. And, uh, well, today we've got a most challenging episode of X-Labs. It's one that I, to be completely honest, have been dreading for several months now. Actually, ever since the day it was announced as being a thing that was going to hit shelves. Because, uh, well, I'm a fellow who talks about comic books. And uh, those of us in the business of... um, Trying to provide honest analysis uh, might refer to a book such as this as being unreviewable. And that's for uh, a number of reasons. And I'm sure many of you are aware of those reasons. If you're familiar with um, when this book was initially uh, solicited or just announced on social media, it was quite a crap storm. It was uh, like an emotional tumult on uh, both sides, people for and against this book being a thing, people for and against these creators being involved in a comic book, and kind of got loud, kind of got nasty, kind of got ugly, but at the end of the day, it really didn't help things. Um, That's something that uh, I've been asking myself a lot lately. I know that toward the end of my last uh, lump of X-Lapsed episodes, I kind of leaned into negativity and pessimism. And I started to feel like, as a whole, the bad started to outweigh the good as far as it, you know, went to these books that we discuss here. And like I said, I kind of leaned into it. It became, you know, what can I complain about in this issue? Uh, What is there in this issue that I don't think should be in this issue? It was all about the negative. And, you know, With uh, my newfound post-COVID clarity, I suppose. Um, Or maybe it's just a, you know, a big ol' uh, dollop of maturity that landed in my lap. Um, You know, I look back and I think, you know, what did that help? You know, it's something that I've been really, really trying to be cognizant of. And uh, I've been discussing that a fair amount on on the program, where, you know, we talk about potentially polemic or uh, partisan things being put in our comics, and we stop and think, what does this help? You know, does this help anybody? Or does this just get some high fives around the office and irritate half the readership? You know, we we have to be positive, I feel. And, I mean, I don't want to be all hippy-dippy or, like, ultra-sensitive here, but um, I feel like more emphasis needs to be put on end results here. What What is this going to help? And we have today this uh, issue, uh, the Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird, which, like I said, it was very, very divisive when it was first announced. Um, And we only really heard from the extreme ends uh, on the uh, the topic here, which that's never helpful. 
<laughs> I mean, that's not something that's going to paint anybody in a pleasant light, I suppose. There were people who already declared this to be the worst comic ever printed months and months and months before it came out. Conversely, there were people who said it was going to be the greatest comic book ever created, despite the fact that it was months and months and months away from coming out. You're not helping. That doesn't help anybody. And as a fellow who just wants to tell you whether or not they enjoyed the book after having read it and uh, written a fair amount about it, it makes my, I guess we can say, job here um, quite difficult. Because, as I said, this is a, a, an unreviewable book. Because if I dare to say anything negative about it, well, then I run the risk of being lumped in with some very hateful people. Conversely, if I say good things about it, well, then I run the risk of looking like a shill. <laughs> and uh, it's so unfortunate that that's what this comes down to. This is a very emotional issue for a lot of people, and I totally understand and respect that. But uh, for someone like me, who, you know, who's just off in the corner reading this book and who wants to tell you whether or not I think you, you know, should spend $5 on it, well, that really makes my job difficult here. And sure, I could have skipped this issue, but that's outside the mission statement of this program. We cover everything here. You know, we cover every, not only every X-Men book, but every X-Men appearance in the current year. So it would be, could I say, intellectually dishonest of me to not cover this book? Conversely, am I trying to be a provocateur by discussing this book and dedicating an episode to it? I guess, uh, you know, we'll have to see where, uh, where all the pieces fall, huh? Uh, you know, not to put the cart before the horse here, I do want to put it straight out there. I didn't think this was a bad issue. It wasn't a bad issue. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't think it was worth $5. I wouldn't recommend anybody listening pay $5 for it. But I can't say that it was a bad issue. And uh, we've talked about um, my uh, problems with Steve Orlando's dialogue before. I've always been very out front about that. I don't have a problem with Orlando's stories, but the dialogue kind of rubs me the wrong way. It sounds very, very unnatural. I've been through this. We'll be through it again, I'm sure. But I have no problem with the man personally. I don't know the man personally. I don't want to know the man personally. I think he can tell good stories. I just don't think he can write good dialogue. As for Nyla Rose, I don't follow the wrestling promotion she's a part of. Couldn't pick her out of a lineup, to be completely honest. But, as I say, every time we discuss a book with a new creator on it, I always say, I want comics to be for everybody. I don't care who you are, where you come from, what you believe in. I think everybody should have a seat at the table here in our rapidly shrinking, you know, comics bubble. So, absolutely no problem with Nyla Rose trying her hand at writing comics. Perfectly fine with me. And again, not to put the cart before the horse... The dialogue here was a little bit less grating than uh, Steve Orlando's dialogue usually is. And I think that might have a lot to do with Nyla Rose's presence. But anyway, I just wanted to have that all up front here, my pre-ramble here. I want to cover this one as honestly as I possibly can. You know, I don't want to come across as being on either extreme here. I'm judging this book as a comic book. And I'm judging the story as a story, and uh, I will tell you whether or not I enjoyed it. That's all I ever endeavor to do. I'm not looking to make any sort of statement, socially, politically, what have you. I have absolutely no right to do such a thing, and I'm not smart enough to. 
So um, we're here to talk about comics. That's all <laughs> we're ever here to do. So with all that said, here, but how about I stop wasting time and we get right into the issue? Which is, of course, Giant Size X-Men colon Thunderbird number one, which had a June 2022 cover date. The story's called And Then There Was One, written by Steve Orlando and Nyla Rose. Pencils, David Cutler. Inks, Jose Marzan Jr. and Roberto Pogge. Colors, Irma Nivilla? Nivia? I apologize. I, I can't say words. You guys know that. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Designs by Muller and Bowen. Edits, Okoye, Brunstead, White, Sabolsky. Cover price, five bucks. This one went on sale May the 4th of 2022. And we open in flashback land. It's around the end of, uh, what was that story? The Trial of Magneto. Boy, I mean, so many stories. So many, <laughs> so many stories I can't keep track of them. This was at the end of The Trial of Magneto. Here, thanks to the Scarlet Witch's new waiting room gimmick, of course, the waiting room is something that allows people to be brought, or mutants to be brought back who died before the whole Shiarification of Cerebro. Uh, and as a result of this, John Proudstar pops out of his gold ball, and he's welcomed back to the land of the living by a bunch of mutants he's never, ever, ever seen before. We jump to the present, where we get a two-page spread of Proudstar walking along an Arizona highway. He's heading home toward... Is it Camp Verde? I, I could have sworn it was. Maybe maybe this is a different place he's going to. Anyway, from here we get our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters include Thunderbird and Warpath. We're back at it, and we rejoin John as he drops a bunch of exposition about his current lot in life, and uh, some about what's gone down before. Now, he says that he was the first X-Man to die... And, well, I, I guess if we don't count Changeling. And, you know, those inconvenient, deadly Genesis goofs, right? Mm, uh, details, right? He, I mean, he, he don't know nothing about no Changelings, Petras, or Sways, and he very likely don't give a rip anyway. So I suppose his point is, uh, is rather well taken. So he's thinking back to the past. Yes, he died, right? And at this point, he's more famous for having died and been dead than ever having been alive, which is true. And, I mean, if you've listened to my past discussions on recent Thunderbird, um, I would suggest or argue that that's the way it should have stayed. Um, now, I have no problem with this character, but I've already discussed how his death was such a pivotal, seminal turning point for the X-Men. And, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show here, what, what, is this, what does it add bringing him back? I feel like this is subtraction by addition here. We're taking away... A very pivotal moment in X-Men history For what? You know, that's not to say that this isn't a good character Really, he doesn't have much of a character He wasn't around long enough I don't know that there are people out there With John Proudstar posters on their wall I mean, I I feel like this doesn't I don't know, I feel like this takes away more than it, than it gives us But anyway, John continues his walk And he talks about how two white men Started something that could be viewed as a mutant reservation and, I mean, it's not exactly a one-to-one -one comparison, but I suppose there's a point somewhere in that statement. Uh, he speaks of not really knowing anybody on Krakoa, which, of course, he doesn't. And he reflects on some events that happened while he was dead. His people, the Apache, they were slaughtered at Camp Verde. That actually did happen. Uh, originally, it was heavily implied that it was the Hellfire Club behind the attack. Later on in the decade, likely because Emma Frost was a good guy at this point, um, they changed it to being um, Strife, who was behind it. And uh, he was using some jerk named Edwin Martinek, or Martinek, I don't know how to say that word, but um, Edwin. <laughs> Edwin's the guy who did it, and we will meet him again later this very issue. 
John, he continues his, uh, his internal monologue. He thinks about having tried to speak with his brother James, and we did see that scene in a recent issue of New Mutants. And I can't say whether or not that's the only time they tried to, you know, have a chat, but um, it really doesn't matter. Uh, John explains to himself and us, I suppose, that he's going back home in order to visit his grandmother, Lozen Proudstar. Now, she lives in Camp Gozu, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing these words. I'm sure that I am. Uh, I think every one of these words has, like, four possible pronunciations, and I will get them. I will get the wrong one each and every time. I, I assure you there's no disrespect implied. I just... I could hardly say my own name. So, Camp Gozu, or Gazu. I, I'm sorry. Uh, now, I looked online to see if I could find uh, Camp Gozu here. Uh, as you know, I live in Arizona, so I didn't know if this was somewhere local. Couldn't find a Camp Gozu. I, I found a Cafe Gozu, and that's in White River, Arizona, in the Fort Apache Reservation, uh, probably an hour and a half from where I live. Anyway, John arrives at Camp Gozu. He runs into some young folks who don't appear to think all that highly of him. Um, they know that he they, they don't they know that he died, they don't care. And they don't seem to care that he ain't dead anymore. Which we'll talk more about that later on. Now, John learns that the cops and soldiers arrived, or some sort of a militant group, uh, they arrived to round up some of the elders when I think they refused to out Apache mutants that are living at Camp Gozu. Um, I guess there were a lot of Apache mutants there. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, John asks for Lozen, and they tell him that he don't even go here, and they're not going to tell him a damn thing, so he should just beat it. From here, we hop to an info page, and uh, it's Thunderbird writing a letter to... Uh, Jumbo Carnation. Um, now, this results in John getting a brand new costume, and it's a very striking costume. Um, it's not too terribly different from his original, um, at least uh, if you look at it quickly. It is, um, it, it is turquoise and teal. It's very, very striking. I, I really enjoy the colors here. It looks like, um, you know how... Uh, Thunderbird had like a domino mask, right? Like like Robin's mask, basically. Now it's been replaced with like a like a like a splash of paint. It looks like I don't know if that's just stylized or if it is just actually like like maybe war paint covering his eyes here, in you know taking the place of that domino mask. From here we hop back to comics and John is strutting his way toward the police station. He demands entry to speak with Sheriff Strowman and uh, well some officers try to stop him but. I mean, he's, he's Thunderbird. He, he pretty much walks right through them here. Like, it, it's almost like a cartoon. He's just walking through them. Once inside, Sheriff Strawman is there to give him a bit of lip. And, um, well, he gets chucked through a window for his, uh, for his sass. We find out that the Heritage Initiative is behind the, uh, you know, rounding up the elders at Camp Gozu. And they are, of course, a not-so-subtle dig at the Heritage Foundation, which is an American conservative think tank that I believe we first saw back around the time I was getting out of the X-Men comics, either in blue or gold. It was around that era. Um, and, of course, that was wonderfully subtle stuff that wasn't put in the book just to get some high fives around the office. Uh, anyway, John continues plundering the police station, and outside, Edwin Martinek shows up. Now, we find out that he's got some ties to our friends in Orcus, because, of course, he does. Uh, whether or not any of, the, any of the other books will care to pick up on this again, I couldn't tell you. And, of course, that is also assuming that any of the other X-Writers even bothered to crack this issue open in the first place. I wouldn't bet money either way. Now, his Orcus contact here, if you can believe it, 
looks to be Judas Traveler. You all remember Judas Traveler? He was like that mystical mutant character from the Clone Saga era Spider-Man? Oof, I didn't think we'd be seeing him anytime soon or, or ever again, but um, we know this is Steve Orlando and we know how he, you know, picks characters that he's going to put in these books. Uh, speaking of which, let's hop into an info page here where Edwin Martinek sends an email to Orcus. Now, the heritage goofs as a whole are apparently tied up with Orcus. Again, I don't know if this will ever get mentioned again. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. Now, he mentions a character called Revelation. Revelation. Hmm. You know what that means, right? Yes, that means that Steve Orlando hit the random page button on the Marvel Wiki again. Revelation. Real name unknown. First appearance, Wolverine Punisher Revelation number 1, May 1999. This was a... I believe this was the Punisher's second Marvel Knights miniseries, created by Pat and Alvin Lee, and this was back when the Punisher was an angel. You all remember that? He had, like, the little bit of writing on his forehead, the glowing, you know, rune on his forehead, and he was a literal angel of, uh, of vengeance and whatever. But um, Revelation has not been seen since. It, it, Revelation was only in the four-issue mini, never been seen again. So, yeah, random page on the Marvel Wiki. Anyway, back to comics, where we actually get a word balloon which reads, Freeze, mutey? Yikes, what year is it again? Huh. Anyway, John keeps beating up the, uh, the rent-a-cops and the, the goofs here. He actually picks up and throws like a Humvee or something at them, which is, is pretty cool. Uh, when the dust clears, Edwin Martinek is there sarcastically clapping, which of course leads to a fight. Now, Edwin, he transforms himself into some shade of werebeast, and it's explained that he he experiments on himself. He's not an actual mutant. He just experiments on himself to the you know, ridiculous degree, I suppose. Uh, John winds up getting beaten down, which sends him deep into flashback land, where he has a flashback of his own death, you know, on Count Nefaria's exploding jet. He then gets up and beats the ever-loving bejesus out of the baddie. But before he can land the killing blow, Grandma Lozen shows up to settle his tea kettle. Now she, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit sticky. Now she warns John to calm down, right? And she reminds him that while he can come back from the dead, his people cannot. Er, I thought mutant resurrection was a secret. Steve, editors, any friggin' buddy? I thought that was like kind of like one of the bigger things about this era. Mutant Resurrection was a secret, unless, of course, she's talking about just superhero resurrection. In which case, we go back to our discussion that we had during the whole Ben Yurick thing in the flagship. Why in the hell would Ben Yurick think Cyclops coming back to life was a big deal when superheroes die and come back on a daily basis in the fantastical Marvel universe? So, um, yeah, not hmm, kind of a troubling line there. Anyway, uh, she says that if he goes on to kill Martinek... All he would really be doing is uh, just putting a giant target on the back of his entire tribe and all of his family. And so, he decides not to kill the guy. Now, Lozen herself does manage to get a kick in on the baddie, though, kicking him right in the head. Uh, She's a tough old bird, you see. She's got a jean jacket, sunglasses at night. I mean, if only she'd start rapping, she'd be getting a $10,000 check from America's Funniest Home Videos at this point. Uh, Edwin is collected by the goof troop, and everybody goes home. And so, we head back to Camp Gozu, where John and Lozen chat. Uh, John has set up a Krakoan gateway by her place here, so he can come and go and visit whenever he feels like it. Uh, Warpath, he arrives through it, and we get a family reunion. Uh, They take an updated family photo, which replaces the one that we'd first saw way back 
in X-Force number negative one back during flashback month or whatever the hell they called that back in, what was that, 97, 98? It was back there. I probably should have looked up the date, but I I did not. Lozen jokes that she would like a cool costume and a code name too, and we get a pro wrestling reference because, you know, of course we do here. Uh, she mentions the UCWF, which is the Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation, which is an actual fed in the Marvel Universe. It was first introduced to us during the first Thing solo series. Now we close out the issue with Thunderbird running with the buffalo, which is exactly how we first met him way back in Giant Size X-Men number one. Our coming soon page promises that T-Bird is here to stay, and we can follow his adventures in the pages of X-Men Red. And of course, we already saw him in the first issue there, so um, I guess we can look forward to more. That's where we leave it. Next episode, Immortal X-Men number two. So what did we think about Giant Size X-Men colon Thunderbird number one? You know, um, it was a book we read. <laughs> um, I don't have anything bad to say about it. I don't have anything, you know, spectacularly good to say about it. I mean, you all know me by now. You know, I'm not trying to be sensationalist. I'm not trying to be provocative. I just read a book and tell you whether or not I dug it. And for the most part, I mean, this was okay. You know, it was all right. I will say that I'm pretty sure I enjoyed it a lot more than the last slew of giant size X-Men books we got from uh, from Hickman. Which of course, I mean, apples and oranges, right? Those were those those were heavily solicited as being the artistic showcase here. Story was going to be secondary or perhaps not even a priority at all. Whereas this actually felt like a story. And there was enough in it that made me think that it mattered. Of course, you know, shared universes and editorial offices being what they are. Who's to say we'll ever, you know, see Judas Traveler again? If that was even Judas Traveler, we just saw like his arms and he had his, he, it, it looked a lot like Judas Traveler. Uh, who knows if the Heritage Group will be part of Orcus? Who knows if any of this will ever be picked up again? But I feel like the, the additions to the lore, the current day lore, um, weren't so massive that they appeared to be like co-opting the main story threads in our books here. So I could definitely see these being picked up again. I mean, Orlando is on the Marauders right now. Who's to say Judas Traveler and the gang won't show up in the second arc of that book? And if they do, hey, I'm for it. That's fine by me. Part of me is a little hesitant at the idea of bringing a Spider-Man villain, even though he is a mutant, into uh, the books here. Especially with some of the stuff that's going to be going on in the Spider-Man books pretty soon, which um, was spoiled for me, but I uh, <laughs> I will not spoil for you. There just might be there might be some ties between the X-Men and the Spider-Man books um, at some point in the near future. Which I mean, I've talked about this before, where I I kind of like the X-Men being left to their own devices, and in fairness, well, actually, I can't even say in fairness. <laughs> um, uh, I was going to say that there hasn't really been much crossover of late, but we're about to enter a really big crossover, so, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just like the X-Men being their own thing here. When I think back to, like, all the Marvel Nows and how every single issue of X-Men would be basically Avengers co-starring the X-Men or S.H.I.E.L.D. guest-starring the X-Men, I hated that. I wanted the X-Men to be kind of the stars of their own book, and uh, unfortunately... Uh, Marvel was in the midst of their temper tantrum, which triggered my temper tantrum, which kind of soured me on the whole deal there. Um, But I suppose that really doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to do 
with uh, with this book here. Um, trying to think of other things to say about it here. It was a, it was a good story. Uh, the dialogue was better than usual. The art was cool. I like the new Thunderbird design. I uh, I worried when they brought him back. It's like, you know, uh, Warpath generally just wears like the little brother outfit. You know, a thunder. It's basically just Thunderbird's costume. You know, that's how he was introduced back in. Was it 193, Uncanny? It was whatever it was. When he was with the Hellions, of course. But it was basically just Thunderbird's costume. I think he even went by the Thunderbird name for a minute there. Uh, so I worried that we'd just have these two sort of kind of identical characters running around. But here we have John. He's got a, a, you know, a new haircut. He's got uh, this very striking you know, teal or turquoise um, costume, which is really cool to look at. There's actually a bit at the end of this issue that uh, that goes through. Uh, I think it's David Cutler his um, his process in creating this new costume, which is definitely worth taking a peek at. Um, and you know, uh, like I said at the start of the show here, I would feel very dishonest telling people they really need to go out and spend five dollars on this. Of course, you know when it hits Marvel Unlimited, you could do far worse on Marvel Unlimited, especially you know current year stuff. So maybe give it a look. Maybe don't. I, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like so many of the people, and I might be projecting here, but I feel like so many people who would give this issue a shot already are going to go into it with some sort of bias uh, as to whether or not they're going to uh, enjoy it. And I tell you, that's that's a shame. That's really unfair to the book here. I know personally, I didn't have any qualms about reading it, um, but I was a little bit worried about having to discuss it because... Well, this is the internet, where uh, honesty <laughs> kind of goes to die. But I think that's about all I have to say about this issue. Of course, these are just my opinions here. I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, didn't hate it. It was kind of just there. Which, I mean, that's most of our books, isn't it? You know, um, I've been railing on for as long as I can remember about, you know, shill reviews and extreme reviews on either end, giving books zeros out of ten, giving books tens out of ten. To the point where I'm even boring myself, so I could only imagine what all of you think. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I feel like most books fall into that solid 6 to 8 range, you know? Comics have been around for almost a century now, and they've probably, in my opinion, been less than a dozen perfect 10 books. Out of the entire history of comic books. So, uh, the fact that we get dozens and dozens of 10s out of 10 a week, well, it can kind of make you think that the, the game's a little rigged. But, of course... These are my opinions. I'd love to hear your opinions, and I'll give you the contact information in just a little bit. But first, I want to share a short message I got from Billy D. He says, hey, dude, good to hear you back on the regular. And he says, one, I'm with Hero, Charlton Hero, uh, Chris Bailey, on the new stuff. He says, I don't crap on it, but it's definitely not for me. And uh, that was a discussion we had, I believe, last episode, talking about... Um, uh, Chris Bailey's attempts to get in on this run of uh, X-Men books And he's tried several times And just hasn't found anything that, that grabbed him long enough To make him want to uh, stick around and read more And I said that I really appreciated his take here Because he didn't just come out and say these books suck And that's a hard thing I mean, let me talk about it It's the internet <laughs> Internet's about extremes It's about being noticed It's about uh, being provocative and uh, having hot takes but uh, Mr. Bailey just says, hey, you know, these aren't for me. I'll come back around in a few months, see if they are again. If they are, I'll stick around. If they're not, I won't. And I said that I envied that about him. I, I respect and envy that. And here, Billy D. Uh, co-signs with, uh, with Chris Bailey there. 
I know uh, Billy enjoys the essential X-lapsed uh, more than the uh, current year X-lapsed, and uh, I tell you, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, getting into another string of essentials somewhere uh, somewhere in the near future. So uh, I guess uh, keep an ear out for that. Uh, Billy also says, I'd say there's a 1% chance that a writer will intelligently write a Jesus character. Okay, maybe half a percent. <laughs> and that is a uh, reference to a line from Immortal X-Men number 1 where Exodus talks about the Nazarene mutant, uh, which is to say uh, uh, perhaps that Jesus Christ was a mutant, which opens up a really big can of worms in the current X-Men landscape. Considering, I mean, we talked about it at the start of this episode Wanda's waiting room Any mutant can be brought back to life Regardless of when they died So, I mean, that opens a very, very small possibility That if they decide to go down this road Of Jesus being the Nazarene mutant They could actually resurrect him on Krakoa Which... I think that would be a very, very big story. I think that's a story that is kind of doomed if they were to decide to explore it, because that's a very headline-grabby sort of a uh, story, isn't it? We talked about it at the start of this episode here, but this Thunderbird issue, it came with some bias. People became very, very emotional as it pertained to the creative team here And that's very, very unfair on either side of the argument When it comes to, you know, objective uh, discussion and discourse Here, I mean, could you I, you could almost see the Bleeding Cool article already Hell, there might already be several Bleeding Cool articles about this I don't, I don't go there, so uh, I couldn't tell you But if there are and if there will be I mean, that's that could be very, very sticky And I... I hope that I hope they don't do it. <laughs> you know, I, I I can you know part of me thinks it's a very very interesting road to go down, right? The other part of me realizes that, like I said at the start here, what is it going to help? Who is it going to help? Is it going to add anything? No, probably not. You know, and I think I mentioned uh, the Princess Die story they were going to do in Ecstatics back uh, during the. Gemma's Casada era, or maybe maybe Gemma's was gone already, but Casada was certainly there. They were going to have Princess Diana as a member of the Ecstatics, uh, the Milligan All Red book there, the that took over X Force, and Marvel kind of backpedaled and they put in like a Princess Diana stand, and it was like Princess Henrietta, da 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 da, da something or another. And uh, I was an edgy late teen or early twenty something at that point, and I thought it was such a move of you know cowardice. To, you know, backpedal and, and cave But when you look back at that as an adult You might start to realize that uh, What would that have added to anything? You know, what, how would that have helped anybody? All it would have been was probably satire Considering it was ecstatics And, uh, you know, I don't want to make the too soon joke But still, I mean, this is a, a person Who people had a very, very strong attachment to And to have them in a book where they are Satirized or kind of made light of That really doesn't help anybody And I kind of compare that to this potential Nazarene mutant thing What can it add? What will it add? It's only going to be there to hurt people Anyway, I'm always soliciting thoughts on the Nazarene mutant here I think it's a very, very interesting topic to discuss Even though I don't really want to see it come to pass I want to discuss it I think it could be a fun chat
So, of course, keep those messages coming if you would. Um, Billy wraps up with, it's good to have you back. And uh, I, I agree, it's good to be back. Um, I don't know if it's good to have me back, I should say, but uh, it's, I'm, I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm doing this a little bit differently than, uh, than I had been, where, you know, la- last time I didn't really have the opportunity, or I should say last time, I'd say the entire time, I didn't really have the opportunity to digest you know, it was just book after book after book after book. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of doing that now, but it's different. Now it's like, if I get an episode out, I get an episode out. If I don't, I don't. And it's not the end of the world. Uh, it was, I don't know, let give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here. It was some self-indulgent navel-gazing here. Uh, you can probably press stop now if you, <laughs> if you don't want to hear it. But uh, uh, the first night that I missed... A blog post on Chris's on Infinite Earths was literally painful. If anybody's following the site, you might notice, or you might have noticed, that the last week that I was doing daily posts, um, I was pulling from my backlog, like from uh, guest spots I did on other sites. You know, I pulled some old weird science stuff, I pulled some DC in the 80s stuff, and I was just repurposing them for that day's post because... The thought of missing a day after being daily for six and a half years. I mean, six and a half years, every single day, there was something brand new on chrisoninfiniteearths.com. And it got to the point where my head and heart just weren't in it anymore. And part of me wanted to stop. Part of me didn't because, you know, if I stop now, then what were these past six and a half years for? And I was very, very binary about it. You know, it was all or nothing. And so every day for that final week, I had completely written off doing anything. I'm like, okay, this is it. We're done today. And then it would get late and it'd be, you know, 8, 9 p.m. and I hadn't posted anything. And it's like, okay, I, I can't go to bed. You know, I can't go to bed not having posted something. So I pulled from my archives. You know, I pulled from a weird science thing I wrote and I put it up there. And the next day would be the same thing. Okay, I'm not going to do anything. And then it's like, uh, okay, I'm going to share a DC in the 80s thing that I wrote. Boom, bada bing, it's in there. I still haven't missed a day yet. And this happened for a little over a week, I believe. Every single day I would fully intend not to do anything, and I just couldn't let it go. It like it really it made me sick, and I mean that's probably a uh, an indictment on my own mental uh, faculties and emotional maladies. But um, I didn't. I couldn't imagine letting it go. And then um, one day, I, you know, I, I stopped myself. I, uh, I, was, I, had it, I had copied and pasted something I'd written back in like 2017 into a, into a blog post, set it to release, you know, and I didn't. I stopped myself. I realized what an unhealthy thing it was that I was doing and, and how unhealthy the... Uh, how unhealthy the my methods had been for for such a long time at that point, and so I just didn't post, and I went to bed, you know, and I you know, I closed the laptop, I went to bed, and I just laid there, and I knew it's like I counted down the minutes till midnight, you know, it was very very, it was very emotional, it was shockingly emotional, and I mean I'm a fairly emotional guy as it is, but I wasn't expecting. To feel such loss when I finally decided not to post something. 
And I remember when the clock hit midnight, I usually fall asleep at like 10.30 every night. I go to bed pretty early, but um, I couldn't that day. And I, I still remember when it hit 12 and I realized it's over. You know, the streak is dead. There's no going back. The six and a half years of daily posts was now over. You know, it was a unit. It was a closed thing. And um, it, it, was, it, was, it was painful. It was very painful. But I tell you what, <laughs> I woke up the next morning like a parolee. You know, it was like I was out of jail. I, I suddenly didn't have to... I didn't have to wake up get to work right away. I didn't have to wake up before it got light out. Didn't have to write a script. Didn't have to record a show. Didn't have to promote a show. It was a very freeing feeling, and I think that's why I kind of vanished for a, a good uh, a good two weeks, I think. It was um, a nice reset. And now, I mean, I have no streak to live up to. You know, if I want to do a streak again, I'm going to have to go seven years before I break my last one. So uh, that would put me at, good grief, 50 years old. You know, I'd, I'd be 50 when I break my streak, so or uh, 49. So it's um, very freeing not to have to hold myself to a, a standard that I set myself. You know, I, I've been unflinchingly rigid for a very long time, and I think that's been to my detriment. And I think it's, especially towards the end there, it's really made my work suffer. It's really made me pessimistic. It made me expect and almost demand a much more of a return than a project like this would ever, ever get. So, like I said, I mean, I'm, <laughs> what a tangent, right? Um, I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be doing this the way I'm doing it. Where, I mean, tomorrow, if I want to put a show out, I'll put a show out. I don't feel like reading the next book and uh, maybe taking a couple days, I can do that. It's just a hobby. It's not a life. And um, for the longest time, you know, I kind of I kind of crossed the streams there. And as we know, nothing good comes of that. But um, thank you so much for writing in, Billy. And, and thank you for, for the kind welcome and uh, sharing your thoughts. And of course, I would love to hear from everybody. So if you'd like to reach out, say anything, please, I encourage you to do so. You can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram 90sXmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com, Facebook, 90sXmen, the complete audio archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com. you find that anywhere you find noise. But that is going to do it for today. I made it. <laughs> we got through this challenging episode that I'd uh, built up in my head as being um, rather a toughie. But uh, here we are. We made it out the other end. And if you're here with me, I want to thank you so much for spending some of your day with me. And until next time, as always, talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh